Section forty two of the Life of Samuel Johnson, Volume One by James Boswell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Parental tyranny, Anno Domini, seventeen fifty nine. I would describe to this year the following letter to a son of one of his early friends at Lichfield, Mr. Joseph Simpson, barrister and author of a tract entitled reflections on the study of the law Footnote. i think that this letter belongs to a later date probably to seventeen sixty five or seventeen sixty six as we learn post april the tenth seventeen seventy six simpson was a barrister who fell into a dissipated course of life on july the second seventeen sixty five johnson records that he repaid him ten guineas which he had borrowed in the lifetime of mrs johnson his wife he also lent him ten guineas more if it was in seventeen fifty nine that simpson was troubled by small debts it is most unlikely that johnson let six years more pass without repaying him a loan which even then was at least of seven years standing moreover in this letter johnson writes i have been invited or have invited myself to several parts of the kingdom the only visits it seems that he paid between seventeen fifty four and seventeen sixty two were to oxford in seventeen fifty nine and to Lichfield in the winter of 1761-62. After 1762, when his pension gave him means, he travelled frequently. Besides all this, he says of his stepdaughter, I will not incommode my dear Lucy by coming to Lichfield while her present lodging is of any use to her. Miss Porter seems to have lived in his house, till she had built one for herself though his letter to her of january the tenth seventeen sixty four croker's boswell shows that it was then building yet she had not left his house on january the fourteenth seventeen sixty six ibid end of footnote to joseph simpson esq dear sir your father's inexorability not only grieves but amazes me footnote in the rambler number one hundred and forty eight entitled the cruelty of parental tyranny johnson after noticing the oppression inflicted by the perversion of legal authorities says equally dangerous and equally detestable are the cruelties often exercised in private families under the venerable sanction of parental authority he continues even though no consideration should be paid to the great law of social beings by which every individual is commanded to consult the happiness of others yet the harsh parent is less to be vindicated than any other criminal because he less provides for the happiness of himself see also post march the twenty ninth seventeen seventy nine a passage in one of boswell's letters to temple page one hundred and eleven may also be quoted here 
the time was when such a letter from my father as the one i enclose would have depressed but i am now firm and as my revered friend mr samuel johnson used to say i feel the privileges of an independent human being however it is hard that i cannot have the pious satisfaction of being well with my father End of footnote. dear sir your father's inexorability not only grieves but amazes me if you married imprudently you miscarried at your own hazard at an age when you had a right of choice it will be hard if the man might not choose his own wife who has a right to plead before the judges of his country if your imprudence has ended in difficulties and inconveniences you are yourself to support them and with the help of a little better health you would support them and conquer them surely that want which accident and sickness produces is to be supported in every region of humanity though there were neither friends nor fathers in the world you have certainly from your father the highest claim of charity though none of right and therefore i would counsel you to omit no decent nor manly degree of importunity your debts in the whole are not large and of the whole but a small part is troublesome small debts are like small shot they are rattling on every side and can scarcely be escaped without a wound great debts are like cannon of loud noise but little danger you must therefore be enabled to discharge petty debts that you may have leisure with security to struggle with the rest neither the great nor little debts disgrace you i am sure you have my esteem for the courage with which you contracted them and the spirit with which you endure them i wish my esteem could be of more use i have been invited or have invited myself to several parts of the kingdom and will not incommode my dear lucy by coming to lichfield while her present lodging is of any use to her i hope in a few days to be at leisure and to make visits whither i shall fly is a matter of no importance a man unconnected is at home everywhere unless he may be said to be at home nowhere i am sorry dear sir that where you have parents a man of your merits should not have an home i wish i could give it you i am my dear sir affectionately yours samuel johnson an excursion to oxford i tart fifty he now refreshed himself by an excursion to oxford of which the following short characteristical notice in his own words is preserved blank blank is now making tea for me footnote perhaps fan for van siddert into footnote i have been in my gown ever since i came here footnote. lord stowell informs me that johnson prided himself in being during his visits to oxford accurately academic in all points and he wore his gown almost ostentatiously croker end of footnote
it was at my first coming quite new and handsome i have swum thrice which i had disused for many years i have proposed to van Sittert, climbing over the wall but he has refused me Footnote. dr robert van Sittert of the ancient and respectable family of that name in berkshire he was eminent for learning and worth, and much esteemed by Dr. Johnson, Boswell. Johnson, perhaps, proposed climbing over the wall on the day on which University College witnessed me drink three bottles of port without being the worse for it. Post April the 7th, 1778, end of footnote. And I have clapped my hands till they are sore at Dr. King's speech. Footnote. Gentleman's Magazine, April 1785, Boswell. The speech was made on July the 7th, 1759, the last day of the solemnity of the instalment of the Earl of Westmoreland as Chancellor of the University. On the 3rd, the ceremony began with a grand procession of noblemen, doctors, etc., in their proper habits, which passed through St. Mary's, and was there joined by the Masters of Arts in their proper habits, and from thence proceeded to the great gate of the Sheldonian Theatre, in which the most numerous and brilliant assembly of persons of quality and distinction was seated, that had ever been seen there on any occasion. Gentleman's Magazine, Volume 39, page 342. Would that we had some description of Johnson as in his new and handsome gown he joined the procession among the masters the great sham of literature anno domini seventeen fifty nine johnson's black servant at sea itart fifty his negro servant francis barber having left him and been some time at sea not pressed as has been supposed but with his own consent it appears from a letter to john wilkes esq from dr smollett that his master kindly interested himself in procuring his release from a state of life of which johnson always expressed the utmost abhorrence he said no man will be a sailor who has contrivance enough to get himself into a jail for being in a ship is being in a jail, with the chance of being drowned. Footnote. Journal of a Tour to the Hebrides, 3rd edition, page 126, August 31st. Possible. The chance of death from disease would seem also to have been greater on the ship than in a jail. In the Idler, number 38, Johnson estimates that one in four of the prisoners dies every year. In his review of Hanway's essay on tea, he states that he is told that of the five or six hundred seamen sent to China, sometimes half, commonly a third part, perish in the voyage. End of footnote. And at another time, a man in a jail has more room, better food, and commonly better company. Footnote. Ibid. Page 251, September the 23rd, Boswell, end of footnote. The letter was as follows. 
Chelsea, March the 16th, 1759. Dear Sir, I am again your petitioner in behalf of that great cham of literature, Samuel Johnson. Footnote. In my first edition, this word was printed chum, as it appears in one of Mr. Wilkes's miscellanies, and I animadverted on Dr. Smollett's ignorance, for which let me propitiate the manes of that ingenious and benevolent gentleman. Chum was certainly a mistaken reading for cham, the title of the sovereign of Tartary, which is well applied to Johnson, the monarch of literature, and was an epithet familiar to Smollett to see Roderick Random, chapter 56. For this correction I am indebted to Lord Palmerston, whose talents and literary acquirements accord well with his respectable pedigree of Temple. Boswell. After the publication of the second edition of this work, the author was furnished by Mr. Abercrombie of Philadelphia with the copy of a letter written by Dr. John Armstrong, the poet, to Dr. Smollett at Leghorn, containing the following paragraph. As to the K. Bench Patriot, it is hard to say from what motive he published a letter of yours asking some trifling favour of him in behalf of somebody for whom the great cham of literature Mr. Johnson had interested himself. Malone. In the first edition, Boswell had said, Had Dr. Smollett been bred at an English university, he would have known that a chum is a student who lives with another in a chamber common to them both. A chum of literature is nonsense. End of footnote. I am again your petitioner in behalf of that great cham of literature, Samuel Johnson. His black servant, whose name is Francis Barber, has been pressed on board the stag frigate Captain Angel, and our lexicographer is in great distress. He says the boy is a sickly lad of a delicate frame, and particularly subject to a malady in his throat, which renders him very unfit for His Majesty's service. You know what manner of animosity the said Johnson has against you? Footnote. In a note to that piece of bad bookmaking, Almond's Memoirs of Wilkes, volume 1, page 47, this allusion is thus explained. A pleasantry of Mr. Wilkes on that passage in Johnson's Grammar of the English Tongue prefixed to the dictionary, H seldom, perhaps never, begins any but the first syllable. For this pleasantry, see ante, page 300, end of footnote. And I dare say you desire no other opportunity of resenting it than that of laying him under an obligation. He was humble enough to desire my assistance on this occasion, though he and I were never cater cousins, and I gave him to understand that I would make application to my friend Mr. Wilkes, who perhaps by his interest with Dr. Hay and Mr. Elliot, might be able to procure the discharge of his lackey. It will be superfluous to say more on the subject, which I leave to your own consideration, but I cannot let slip this opportunity of declaring that I am, with the most inviolable esteem and attachment, dear sir, your affectionate, obliged, humble servant, T. Smollett. 
Mr. Wilkes, who upon all occasions has acted as a private gentleman, with most polite liberality, applied to his friend Sir George Hay, then one of the Lords Commissioner of the Admiralty, and Francis Barber was discharged, as he has told me without any wish of his own. He found his old master in chambers in the inner temple, and returned to his service. Footnote. Mr. Croker says that he was not discharged till June 1760. Had he been discharged at once, he would have found Johnson moving from Gough Square to Staple Inn, for in a letter to Miss Porter, dated March the 23rd, 1759, given in the appendix, Johnson said, I have this day moved my things, and you are now to direct to me at Staple Inn. End footnote. Life in Inner Temple Lane, Anno Domini, 1759 What a particular new scheme of life Johnson had in view this year, I have not discovered. But that he meditated one of some sort is clear from his private devotions, in which we find the change of outward things which I am now to make, and grant me the grace of thy Holy Spirit that the course which I am now beginning may proceed according to thy laws, and end in the enjoyment of thy favour. Footnote. Prayers and Meditations, pages 30, 39, and 40, Boswell. End of footnote. But he did not, in fact, make any external or visible change. Footnote. I have left off housekeeping, wrote Johnson to Langton on January the ninth, 1759, Murphy, Life, page 90, writing of the beginning of the year 1759, says, Johnson now found it necessary to retrench his expenses. He gave up his house in Gough Square. Mrs. Williams went into lodgings. He retired to Gray's Inn. He had first moved to Staple Inn, and soon removed to chambers in the Inner Temple Lane, where he lived in poverty total idleness and the pride of literature magni stat nominus umbra mr fitzherbert used to say that he paid a morning visit to johnson intending from his chambers to send a letter into the city but to his great surprise he found an author by profession without pen ink or paper it was Mr. Fitzherbert who sent Johnson some wine. The following documents confirm Murphy's statement of Johnson's poverty at this time. May the 19th, 1759. I promised to pay to Mr. Newbury the sum of £42.19 shillings and tenpence on demand. Value received £42.19 and ten. Samuel Johnson. March 20th, 1760. A promise to pay to Mr. Newbury the sum of thirty pounds upon demand, thirty pounds, Samuel Johnson. In seventeen fifty one, he had thrice borrowed money of Newbury, but the total amount of the loans was only four guineas. Prior's Goldsmith, volume one, page three forty. With Johnson's want of pen, ink, and paper, we may compare the account that he gives of Savage's destitution. 
nor had he any other conveniences for study than the fields or the streets allowed him there he used to walk and form his speeches and afterwards step into a shop beg for a few moments the use of the pen and ink and write down what he had composed upon paper which he had picked up by accident hawkins life page three eight three says the johnson's chambers were two doors down the inner temple lane i have been told he continues by his neighbours at the corner that during the time he dwelt there more inquiries were made at his shop for mr johnson than for all the inhabitants put together of both the inner and middle temple in a court opening out of fleet street goldsmith at this very time was still more miserably lodged in the beginning of march seventeen fifty nine percy found him employed in writing his inquiry into polite learning in a wretched dirty room in which there was but one chair and when he from civility offered it to his visitant himself was obliged to sit in the window goldsmith's miscellaneous works volume one page sixty one end of footnote end of section forty two